Mac Power Users, Episode 73, Podcasting, The How and the Why. Hello friends, David Sparks here. We're going to go inside baseball today. We've had a lot of people requesting that we talk about how we put together the show and what the workflows are involved with that. So we're going to do it, right, Katie? That's right, David. Um, so let's talk about podcasting. Yeah. So we've had lots of requests for the shows. And, and I guess, you know, this was something that we haven't done for a long time because we thought, would anybody really be interested in how we produce a show? But apparently they are. I think... Um, yes. We need to disclaim this a little bit with, with this is not a how-to guide on making a podcast because it's just kind of our thoughts and some of the things that we did. This is not necessarily the right way to do it. In fact, we'll talk about some of the things that we just flat out did wrong and you know wish that maybe we had done differently and, and now maybe it's too late. But I, I guess it will give you a general idea. Yeah, and I think it's also important that we talk about why, you know, and, and we'll do that at the end of the show, but... Uh, just the fact that you've got the tools isn't enough, and you've got to really come up with an idea if you want to get into podcasting. So, uh, but but let's start with the basics. You know how, how did how did we get here? I ask myself that question every day. <laughs> well, now you're making me a little scared. <laughs> no, no, no. So I think we met at MacWorld. Was it three or four years ago? I mean, obviously, I was aware of who you were. Um, because I think everybody in this our kind of Mac circle of of friends knew you, knew me, although we had never met directly. And uh, we had this unique thing in common that we were both these Mac geek lawyers and people just kind of assumed that we needed to get together at some point. I'm pretty sure I met you in line for the Cirque du Mac show at, that might, at a that, Mac world at some time in the past. That might, that's probably it. That sounds vaguely familiar. And then it, it went from there. So people kept saying that we needed to get together and do something, but then at the same time they were also saying, but you can't do another Mac podcast. There's there's no room for another Mac podcast. That would be stupid to launch another Mac podcast. I didn't want to do a Mac podcast because I felt like that, you know, the the big shows are already out there and I couldn't think of any reason why we would want to add more noise. And at the time, I was actually doing another Mac podcast, which has since been discontinued and um uh you know, it was kind of filling a niche for me, but it in some ways also wasn't filling a niche for me. And I was kind of yearning to do something more, but I, I didn't quite know what. So uh, we decided to talk about it and following Macworld, we, I don't know when our show debuted, but it was about it was, six months later. It was May. Our show debuted in May and Macworld in January. So maybe yeah. five months later. So we had a series of calls and, and for me, I wasn't going to do it unless I found something that I thought was new and interesting. And I got thinking about what's the show that I would like to hear that's not on. And that's when I came up with the idea of, you know, just one topic and just like drill it down as deep as you can. And then we started working with that and we kind of decided, okay, that's a show. And from there we ended up with the Mac power users. Yeah. And so, we bounced back and forth with different ideas and different formats, but, but we had the basic concept of, we, we knew, we knew there were a couple of things we flat out didn't want to do. We knew that we didn't want to do a new show. We knew that we didn't want to do a rumor show. And we knew that what we wanted to do, we wanted to be something that would, was important to us. We wanted to have some kind of productivity slant, and we wanted to basically teach people or use our own experiences on how to use your Mac more efficiently. And then 
the workflows thing came up, I don't know, about six months after we'd started the show, I felt like every show was great and I thought we were doing a great job, but I thought people were probably tired of hearing about how you and I do everything. And I thought as I was flying up to Macworld, I said, well, let's find some people that we respect that have interesting workflows of their own so they can share with our audience. And I went and, uh, and Merlin Man was a, well, I wouldn't say stock. I went and met him and he's a really nice guy and he agreed to do it. And really I credit him for getting that workflows thing off. Yeah. And, and it did to be honest, I was terrified. You know, when we talked about this one topic show concept, I was terrified from the beginning that we would run out of things to talk about. I'm thinking, oh gosh, we'll, we'll do this podcast for six months to a year max, and then we'll, we're going to have nothing else to say. Yeah, you weren't alone. Everybody told me that I was crazy for doing this this um, this idea, and they said it's not going to be deep enough, and all the nerds are going to hate you, and all the beginners are not, are going to tune you out. And I said, I don't care. This is something I'd like to have. So yeah, I made it for myself and uh, and you as well, of course. And uh, so it worked. But I guess that's kind of the Mac Power user story. Let's talk about how we make the show happen. Yeah. Uh, well, there there are a couple of things. I mean, it, it, you you can't just sit down at the microphone and hit record. I mean, there's a there's a lot of things that you have to do before you even sit down to record the first show. And although we didn't spend our entire first six months doing that, we we definitely spent a good couple of weeks before we recorded that first show putting up putting a lot of these this back end into place. Um, some of that is is figuring out just your brand. I mean, we knew the concept of our show, but what was going to be the title of our show? What was going to be our our website and what was going to be the the image and the music associated with our show? Um, and you know, we kicked around a bunch of ideas, but but we we liked the power users idea. Yeah, and we liked Mac and hated users. a little bit. Uh, well, I liked it, and and MacPowerUsers.com was available. That's the, know, that was honest. the big thing. Yep. <laughs> so we got that, um, and and Darren, then and then people told us we were crazy for that because the the name Power Users itself is going to throw people off, or you're going to have a bunch of people writing you telling you you're not Power Users, you're not covering high level enough topics. Yeah, we don't talk about the terminal enough, so we have to uh, forfeit our name. Right. I still get emails. Like I that still get emails like that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, the um, and then uh, we got some artwork done. Darren Rolf did an amazing job on the original Mac Power Users logo. I still love that little battery. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and Jory Raphael uh, from Five by Five kind of updated it when we joined Five by Five, and I love that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, our music, we wanted to get some music. We just used some stock. Um, it's out of Logic. It's one of the Logic tracks. Right. Uh, and uh, we, we're still using it. Which was kind of funny when we started the show. Somebody wrote me saying, "Well, I'm giving you permission to use the the music from our podcast because obviously we're not the only ones using that music." And I wrote him back and said, "Well, thank you for your permission, but it actually belongs to Apple." Right. And um, and we played with trying to replace it, but I can't I haven't got the right feel yet, you know. And and we did replace it for a couple of shows, and oh boy, did we get emails, good and bad. Yeah, yeah, you know. And to be honest with you, I JF is awesome who created that for us, but I I didn't take enough personal responsibility for that. Cause at the time we were busy with the transition to five by five and, um, and I, I need to be more involved when we do it. So we'll get there eventually, but I'm not sure when Yeah, people it, seem to like the music as it is for now. Yeah. You know, that, that was another I- instance of we, we spent so much time and so much planning before we released our first show on our own. And then the five by five transition happened kind of quickly. And then there were like, there were so many things that we wanted to do before we made the transition over to five by five. That that was kind of one of the things that we, we almost did too quickly and 
we uh, we didn't go back to our roots of, of of more carefully planning out things before we we jumped. Yeah. Uh, then you need a website. You do need a website, and people ask, "Why do I need a website? I don't plan on blogging. I don't plan on doing anything. Why is why is a website important?" Because you and I both have our own separate blogs, and and we've really never used, although we've had a couple of other posts, we've really never used the Mac Power Users website for anything other than posting our shows. Um, but the website is really important because it's a way for your listeners to connect to you. I mean, you've got your contact information up there. It's very important for the show notes, especially for a detailed show like ours. If you don't put links to what you talked about in the show notes, either um, you're going to get a dozen emails from people asking for those links, or people are just going to assume you didn't care enough to do it. Um, if you want to blog, in addition to your podcast, maybe you've got a multi-mixed you know, mixed format, it's a place to that. And one of the things that, that I like about our website that people may not be aware of is it's also a place where you can stream the show. There's a little HTML, HTML5 video player on our podcast. So if you're out and about and for some reason you can't download it because of that restriction on iTunes that only lets you download so much over, uh, over, um, over 3G, although there's some great apps now that take care of that, for a while the website was one of the only places where you could actually stream the show. Yeah. Instacast. I love it. Or downcast is another good one. Um, but, yeah. but probably the most important reason why you must have a website from a technical standpoint to do a podcast is you need something to generate an RSS feed because the RSS feed is the mechanism that deploys the podcast. And, and yeah. I don't think we're going to get too deep into the technical. I mean, obviously, if you're someone who's interested in podcasting, you can, you can research some of these broad topics on your own. But just to make it simple. Apple is not hosting all the show files you're downloading. No, no. Ap all they're doing is they're pointing. Yeah. Ap Apple is just an aggregator of podcasts and, and they, they store to my knowledge, nothing of ours. They don't store our artwork. They don't store our audio. They don't store um, anything of ours. And they're just linking to information that's already in our RSS feed. So you've got a website set up. You've got the, the file hosted there. And then when someone clicks download or subscribe in iTunes, it just goes to that link and pulls from there and puts it into your computer. Right. And, and that's why it's also very important to give some, some real strong thought as to who you're going to pick to be your website provider. And this may or may not be the person that you choose to host your podcast files. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But, um, you know, people say that there's some logic to having your domain and your website separately or your, your web hosting separately, because if there's a problem with one, you can take the other and move. So, so that's an idea. Um, and you'll probably want to have some kind of content management solution. We use WordPress, David, I know you use Squarespace for Max Sparky. Yeah. But there are know, I'm not a big well. I used WordPress for years. And I think this is probably outside topic a little bit, but I, I'm just not a fan of the constant updates and I've had WordPress friends get hacked without even knowing it. Right. And, um, so I'm, I'm kind of in favor of a closed system like Squarespace. I know it's a little more expensive, yeah. but I, I don't regret the 12 bucks a month I spend on Max Sparky at all. Yeah. And you know, that's something that I've looked at before is, is, you know, do we want to move Mac power users to something like Squarespace? But and that's another thing is I know Squarespace has got great tools, but one of the, the, the themes that I want to, to, to outline in this is you need to always plan for expandability and always plan on how to get your stuff out if you decide to move with a different system. And I think Squarespace does a pretty good job of that. 
Yeah, it, it's scary though when you start moving podcast assets around because then things break. In fact, that was the biggest fear we had. I mean, we were very happy to join Five by Five, but we were a little worried about, well, is our show gonna, is everybody gonna lose our show? All these people because we had a lot of subscribers at that point. We didn't want them to suddenly just not get us anymore. Right. And that worked out for the most part. There were, there were some hiccups, but. Um but anyway, so so pick your provider. Um, you're definitely going to want to use something that has the ability to add a media file as an enclosure to create the podcast and the RSS feed. Um, we again, we use WordPress with the PowerPress add-on. I think Squarespace also has the ability to do this as well, right, David? It does, but I don't want to speak too much as to that. I've I've not done it on Squarespace, and I'm a little worried about bandwidth problems. Right. Well, uh, and and that. That kind of takes us to a, a, a different topic, which is talking all about bandwidth and, and media hosting. Um, and that is, well, why do why can't I just host my files where I host my website? You can, but it may get really expensive if your podcast gets popular. Yeah. Now, um, I this is this is kind of a, a tough topic, I guess, to talk about. I have no statistics to back up what I'm about to say, so. My guess, my my pure guess, would be the great majority of podcasts that are out there have fairly low subscriber rates, and then there's a uh, a, a select number that have just the bulk of the subscribe subscribers. Would that you think I'm I'm on target there? I think that's a that's probably true. That's probably true. So while everybody wants to start a podcast and say. I'm going to be immensely popular and I'm going to have um, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of beloved fans. That's not going to happen right off the bat. When we started this show, my only goal was that my mom would listen to it. (laughs) I didn't really care. I'm honestly, I was so into this concept and everybody was telling me that it was so stupid that I said, fine, I'll just make it. And then I'll listen to it myself. Right. The process of making it, I learned stuff. Um, and we were actually very fortunate. Our our initial show that that we distributed probably got four or five times as many downloads as I thought we would. I mean, gosh, I, I would have been happy if we had topped a thousand. Yeah. Um, and, and and I know that there are many excellent podcasts out there, and people who are podcasting. That's certainly not to give you any kind of of, of framework for where your podcast should be. I mean, you, you shouldn't podcast for other people and to put your people out there. This this is not a way to make a living. David and I certainly don't don't make a living out this, but um, you know, it may just be a matter that your show gets a couple of hundred or a couple of thousands of downloads. And I mean, how cool is that that you stick something out there that a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand people listen to? And, and that's when we talk about the why. We're going to get to that later, right? But, you know, but but the problem with with it is not necessarily hosting the media files, although that's, that's important. I mean, because storage needs add up quick. I mean, to give you an example, although I, we started out around an hour or so, I would say our average podcast these days is about an hour and a half ish. And that's around a 45 megabyte file. So you multiply that by the number of downloads and you're getting monstrous bandwidth. I mean, without getting too much into numbers, I can tell you that just one of our shows in December required 5.5 terabytes ballpark of bandwidth to distribute in December. Um, so if you were on your own home hosting service, yes, 
and they charged you uh, when you exceeded your bandwidth limits, that could have been really bad for us. Yeah. And we keep could have it, got a bill for two or three grand, you know? And and keep in mind, we, we produced three shows in December. Yeah. I mean, so that was just one of them. So it, it, it grows exponentially. So it's really important that you be aware of that media hosting. Now, a lot of these uh, website hosting places will now say that for a certain fee, and I think even the people who we host our website with say that, you know, if you're on their $10 a month plan or more, they'll give you unlimited bandwidth, asterisk. You know, I mean, yeah. so, so you really have to investigate what is unlimited and does that really mean unlimited? Because if I'm running multiple terabytes of bandwidth down here through you, um, you know, are you really going to keep me unlimited? Now, that's not to mean that that you can't start small and grow. In fact, I think you should because this is one of the big costs of podcasting is is paying for the bandwidth. The the website's nothing to host. Yeah. And there are some solutions. Uh, there's some actually very good solutions when you're getting started. Right. Um, starting with Libsyn. I mean, Libsyn is kind of an all-in-one. You know, they sell themselves as a, as a podcaster's service. And they host the files. They, get, they You can put the website there. And as I understand it, unlimited there means unlimited. Right. There, there are a couple of services. Lipson is one of them. Um, Blurbery, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. I may not be pronouncing that right, is another. But I think it's Blueberry. Blueberry? It's the, yeah. Blueberry. Okay. I've never used them, so I don't know anything about them. Well, but they've got the same. Lipson and, and Blueberry have the same pricing plan. And, and your bandwidth is unlimited, and you pay based on the storage you need. So, for example, if your podcast is on average 45 megabytes, let's just round up and say 50 megabytes per show, because you always want to plan for a little more than you need, because maybe you have a special episode, maybe you go crazy one week, you know. So let's say your podcast is is 50 megs on average per show, and you do two shows a month, then you're probably going to need at minimum a 100 megabyte plan, you know, probably a little bit more to to plan on room for growth. And they charge you based on that. And then every 30 days your um your storage space resets as they archive your old shows so then you can upload another show so it's designed for people who are uploading pretty consistently the same size files on a regular basis and we've yeah, so just listened for a long time yeah and just just to be clear that's an upload limit now so if you've got two shows a month and they're 45 megabytes you get a 100 megabyte plan that's what you can upload then the downloads are as I understand it, with Libsyn and probably Blueberry, unlimited. Right. So if you put up a show and then suddenly it goes viral and everybody in the world downloads it, you're fine. And those, you know, I think the 100 megabyte plan, I don't know what the cost is right now, but it, it was in the neighborhood of 10 or 15 bucks a month. It wasn't It wasn't out of line. Right. Um, and so those are, those are great options because they future-proof you a little bit. And then as you need more space, as your podcast, um, you decide to podcast more often. Then that grows. Now, you know, overall, I got to say we were pretty happy with Libsyn because you certainly couldn't buy that much bandwidth from another place for that kind of cost. But, um, you know, again, when you're doing something with a service like that, a lot of it is out of your control. You know, you throw your file up there and you hope that it all works out. And if not, you're going to have to throw in a support ticket and see what happens. Yeah. And occasionally we had a couple problems with Libsyn, but overall, I think it was a good relationship. Right. Um, a couple of other options. I know a lot of our podcasting friends host with Cashfly. Um, Amazon S3 is another option. 
And I've seen some podcasters who have hosted their podcasts for free on archive.org. Yeah, see, I don't, I haven't worked with archive.org. I've heard a lot about it, but I've just never got around to checking it out. Have you played with it much? I have uploaded. In fact, that's where I uploaded all of the old files for um, the old podcast that I did was up to archive.org just because I, you know, I didn't want to just turn them off. Um, yeah. Now you, you, it's a different kind of service. I mean, their, their goal is to basically archive all the information that's available on the internet and, and you can go read all about them over at archive.org. So you're, you're not going to get all of the features, but if you're just looking for a place to stick your file, um, archive.org will do it. And here's the problem. and, And this is a problem with anybody. What happens if any of them go away? I mean, you've got a plan for that, that plan B and you've got to build in some redundancy. I mean, with our show in particular, because I feel that they stay timely for a long time, we're not talking about the news. So, you know, in a week, it's still relevant. You know, the stuff we talk about with respect to paperless or mail or whatever the subject is. So we have a lot of people going back and listening to shows that are a couple of years old sometimes. Right. So, so we definitely want to keep that stuff available for people. So. It, uh, the, the, the web host or the media hosting is, is an interesting problem. If, if you can do it through your web hosting provider, I mean, obviously that's great. That's one place where you can store everything and be done with it. Um, I've just seen that to be a potential for a lot of problems. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this RSS feed a little bit more. Um, you know, we had some issues with ours when we made the transition and that was just some, some beginner mistakes we made. Yeah, well, the, the RSS feed is, is basically how the show is distributed. And and one of the things I think we did right is from the very beginning, we set up a feed burner account. And um, basically what a feed burner account does is it links to where your actual RSS feed is, which, quite frankly, I, I couldn't even tell you where it is and and because it's changed. And it gives you kind of a static URL that you can use. And that's the URL that we've given to iTunes. That's the URL it's uh, you know feedburner.com slash Mac power users that that uh, if you go on our website and you just want to because some people don't subscribe to iTunes for our type of show for a Mac 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 show most of our subscribers are through iTunes but not all but if you wanted to subscribe you know through your Zoom do they still make those um, or through any other device or a different type of podcatcher um, you would do it with the RSS feed one of the problems we had and I'm not sure I ever figured out why is when we made the transition to five by five, um, some people end up getting our show twice in two separate feeds. So that was a little bit problematic. The only thing I can say that was good about that is I don't think we lost anybody. Yeah. And that, and that sorted itself out. It might've just been part of the transition. You know, I, I believe that there was a switch thrown somewhere and another switch turned off somewhere and it's possible they didn't happen exactly simultaneously. Right. That's my analog, um, explanation. But, but the feed, feed burner is great because it's an intermediary for pointing the feed. So when we switched to 5x5, five five, we just told FeedBurner to look to the new 5x5 five five location instead of the old Libsyn location. And everything happened seamlessly. And we had a lot of listeners at that point, and we were able to retain them as we moved into the 5x5 five five family. Um, so what mistakes did we make? Um, we made a couple. And I, I think... One of the things that I want to emphasize to people is start small. I mean, don't, if, if you want to get into podcasting, don't spend a fortune 
starting this, but you need to plan ahead and you need to plan for growth. One of the the biggest mistakes that we made, and I'm I'm not sure that there, you know, we kind of got to a point where I don't think there was any way to correct it, is when we were direct, when we were linking our hosting our files up on Libsyn, we were direct linking to those files. So for example, if you went to the Mac Power Users webpage, now if you subscribed through iTunes, you were fine because you got it through our SSS feed. But if you went to the Mac Power Users webpage and you downloaded a file, you were downloading it from, you know, libsyn.com slash something, 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 something. And if, you know, someone went out and wrote a blog post promoting our show and they gave you a direct download link to the file, that direct download link would be libsyn.com something. Um, so there were a lot of these libsyn.com links out there that, that linked to shows that were hosted on Libsyn. And when we made the transition over to 5x5, five five, that was... Um, our shows were no longer hosted on Libsyn. They were hosted as, as part of all the 5x5 five five shows on a different service. And and we had no need for the Libsyn account anymore. But yet when we were watching the Libsyn stats, we could still see that there was a very small, but still a number of people who every month were somehow direct downloading shows from Libsyn, not through iTunes, not through our RSS feed, because those had been changed um, you know, because of FeedBurner and because of our iTunes change. But they were obviously either getting it from old links. Maybe they had huff. What's it called? Huff duffer? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they had huff duffed, if that's a word, our podcast and saved it and not downloaded it, or someone had direct linked to it and and they were clicking on a link and that's how they were accessing it. And um, I think we kept Libsyn around for, you know, like six or eight months to try to accommodate those people. But at some point, David, we just made the decision to pull the plug. And we haven't had any complaints since. So apparently everybody that needed it either found it or gave up on it. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure there were some people who gave up on it. I think the better practice would have been if if we had, had set up some kind of link where the, the link that we exposed to the world was a Mac Power Users link, but that actually then linked to where the file was hosted because you know, then we could have changed the link all day long as, as long as our, our permanent link stayed in place. Yeah. Live and learn. Live and learn. Hey, uh, before we start talking about the mechanics of recording, let's talk about our first sponsor, Pixelmator. Okay. You know, I was at the speaker room up at Macworld, yep. sitting next to a mutual friend of ours, and we were working on our presentation slides. And uh, and this guy opened up his um, Adobe Photoshop, and I opened up my Pixelmator, and we were making quick changes. The only difference is I was done about half the time. Yeah, I was wondering who finished first. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, Pixelmator loads faster. It runs, you know, it uses the graphics processor on your Mac, so it's easier to use. I, I just love Pixelmator. I'm so glad they joined us as a sponsor. So it's it's similar to Photoshop in terms of the tool layout, but it's it's really built around the Mac, and it looks like it. They've got 40 tools for selecting, cropping, retouching, measuring, just about anything you want to do to an image you can do. There's color correction tools. 150 filters. Um, it's very easy to adjust and transform images. I, I just love Pixelmator. And um, uh, I, I saw how you were using it as well for some black and white stuff. Yeah. You know, one of the things, and, and I think we're going we're gonna to try to make a point of doing this with the Pixelmator, is, is talk about some of the fr- our favorite things that we use Pixelmator for. And one of my favorite tips with Pixelmator, and I've, I've put a link in the show notes as to where you can find the, the instructions for this tip, 
um, is to use Pixelmator to create a dramatic black and white effect. So have you ever seen those photos that are completely black and white except for a key point of interest that is in color? Yeah, like I did one of my daughter uh, this way, and everything was black and white, but she had some bows in her hair, and they were blue, and it looks awesome. Yeah. Well, I did one um, when we went out to San Francisco. I took a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge, and everything was black and white except the bridge itself was in color, you know, that kind of orangey. Well, yeah, everybody knows what the Golden Gate Bridge looks like, but the sky wasn't blue. The water wasn't blue. All of the other stuff in the background was just black and white. Um, except the Golden Great Bridge. And I used to know at some point back when I was in college and using Photoshop regularly how to make that effect in Photoshop, and, and it was it was pretty ridiculous. Um, but but you can do it with, with Pixelmator, and it's, it's, it's pretty easy. It's, it's five easy steps, and, and basically what you do is you just, you know, you open the image, you create a duplicate of the image by, by making it on another layer. And I know this is an audio podcast, so I'm not going to go step by step here. But the point is, is that Pixelmator supports all of these functions like creating duplicate layers. Um, And then you can apply the black and white effect to one of the layers. And then on one of the other layers, what you do is you basically go in and you paint out or mask out the part of the photo that you want to be in color. So you create a mask. And then when you combine the images together, you can either use the paintbrush tool or you can use like the magnetic lasso tool, which is really cool. And then when you combine the images together, and again, link in the show notes for the exact step-by-steps, because I'm not explaining this well, you end up with the image with the pop-out point in color and everything else in black and white. It is very cool. Um, okay, so Pixelmator, uh, version 2.0 is out now in the Mac App Store. It's at an introductory price of $30. I have no idea when their price is going to go up, but if you're interested, I'd say go buy it now. Um, It's a great app. It gives you uh, some super image creation and illustration creation, all these tools for just $30 on your Mac. It's really a no-brainer. And you can associate it with Aperture or iPhoto, so it's your image uh, manipulation tool, so you can go straight out of those apps. Maybe we'll add that to a future ad spot. I'll explain how to do that. But uh, go get it, and... um, Send them a note and tell them thanks for supporting the podcast. Okay, so back to our podcast. Back to podcasting on podcast. Okay, so let's talk about recording and everything that's involved with that. All right. Um, the first big point you put is optimize bandwidth. Well, yeah, because there are a couple of steps. Well, we don't just sit down and record. There are a couple of things, and we remind each other as we sit down to record, hey, did you remember to, hey, did you remember to do this? Yeah. And we listen to each other because we talk before the show starts and sometimes one of us will have some kind of feedback or problem. It's not really, it's really not even a bad idea just to restart your Mac before you start recording. Right. Um, But one of the things that we do is, is, you know, David, you were a little bit crackly when we first started recording and sometimes that's uncontrollable. Sometimes that's Skype. And I said, you got something going on on your network and what was going on? Just, I had a bunch of apps running. Yeah. Nothing to it, it. It all seems pretty innocent, but you know, I've got, the Omni suite and mail. And I, you know, I've been working all morning, so I had a bunch of apps running. So I closed them all down and everything sounds better now. Yeah. The other thing that I did right before we started recording is I've got crash plan backing up in the background. I also had a big upload going to my Dropbox and my time capsule was going, my backup wireless backup to my time capsule was going. So those were, were three pretty big network intensive things. And, um, you know, you can, you can see it not only by their, their menu bar icons, but I've also got, uh, menu meters, 
um, in my in my menu bar, so you can see the bandwidth coming up and down. And although Skype doesn't need that much bandwidth when we're recording a podcast, I I tend to like to make sure that it can have all at once. It seems to me that when we have audio problems, generally it's bandwidth related. It's not the number of processes running on your Mac. It's more usually data uh, running through your internet right. pipe. Um, the other thing I found is a problem um, is my my iPhone. I have a tendency to record with, you know, because my iPhone is with me wherever I go. And I found if my iPhone is sitting on my desk, number one, it might ring. Um, and number two, sometimes I'll get that little darker, darker, darker GSM noise yeah. that will get picked up. So I either put my iPhone in the in another room or I put it in airplane mode when we record. And the same thing with your landlines. I turn down the ringer on my phone and then I always get in trouble because I forget to push it back up. Yeah. I mean, I record, I just live in a 1500 square foot house. We have a small house. So I have a desk in my bedroom. So that's kind of an issue really sometimes because, um, you know, I have other people live in this bedroom with me, <laughs> you know, and, uh, my kids running in and out and all the time. So it's, uh, you know, I have a whole different procedure where I shut the door and put a little sign, dad's busy and turn the phone down and, and all these things. You, you just want to make sure you have a good experience. I need One to find thing, you an on air sign. That would be so cool. That would be kind of funny, yeah. but you know, my family would probably not respect it, right? No, they're pretty good about it. Another thing I always do before we start recording is switch keyboards because I love my tactile pro keyboard, but it makes a lot of noise. You know, here, wait, wait, here, you hear that? You yes. know, so everybody complains, right? We, so we call it his clackety clackety keyboard. I love this keyboard. I love this keyboard, but anyway, they should, um, they should sponsor the show. They should, uh, but. And then, so then we wouldn't make you change keyboards. Yeah. And no, then it, it would, would just be this complain. keyboard noise is sponsored by TechPal. No. Yeah, there we go. But either way, so I get emails from people and they're saying, love your show. I really wish your keyboard was quieter. So I got a, a little Apple, you know, basic keyboard that I use just for when we record the show. So I actually switch keyboards before we start recording. Although, to be honest, I really don't write much down during the show because I usually get so absorbed in it. I mean, so far, I've got a blank Byword document, and, and all it says is show 73. I haven't written anything down in about 35 minutes of recording. Hmm. You should probably work on that. No, because it's more important that the show sound good than I have accurate notes. I'll go back and listen to it later. Right, and we'll actually talk about how we do the show notes. So. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of stuff you do before we even hit record, but but let's start talking about some of the gear that that we used to record because that's that's a constant. Yeah, that's the big question we always get. So yeah. let's talk about mics. All right. Well, I'll tell you when I first started podcasting with the the other show, um, I used a thirty five dollar Logitech headset mic, and it didn't sound great, but it sounded okay. And you know, a lot of our um, a lot of our guests use just simple headset mics to record, and the the difference between using just that $35 mic and using the built-in mic in your uh, computer is tremendous. So if you do nothing else, buy just a, a decent little mic. And if you're on a budget, just buy a headset mic. Um, we record with more than headset mics now, but you know, a, a couple of other podcasts that I know, I heard about this at Macworld and you know, maybe it's something we'll do, David, is they buy an inexpensive headset mic that they'll ship off to guests that they have on their show. If, if their guests don't have a, a decent mic. That's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, if you put it on a level of one from worst audio being one and best audio being 10, I think getting your headset mic 
get you like to a six or a seven. I, I would say maybe a five or a six. Well, it, it's the biggest jump. It's the biggest anything. jump you can possibly make. Yes. So, yes. Um, if nothing it else, goes, that, fact, it goes from unbearable to bearable because because somebody explains to me bad audio is just fatiguing. Yeah, People and turn it off. When I listen to a try new podcast and it's some guy walking around in his room recording into his built-in mic, you know, it lasts about 10 seconds and then I just turn it off. I can't take it. Right. So get yourself a headset mic at a minimum. At a minimum. Um, the other thing I did uh, after a couple of, of months with the headset mic, I moved over to a Samsung CO1U, which is about a hundred dollar mic. And that was a decent upgrade from the headset mic. And what I really loved about the Samsung is it was plug and play into the USB port in my Mac. There was not a lot of gear to set up. Um, and then to improve that even more, what I bought is I bought a, a mic stand that sits here on the floor. It's like, it's called the on stage and it's something similar to what you would see. Um, because I sit when I do the podcast, um, you know, like if you were using it to mic a guitar or something. Um, so it, it keeps the mic off my desk and it keeps me from bumping into the mic. And, um, so I, I use that and I wanted, I wanted to go a little bit higher quality, so I'm currently using a Heil PR20, with an, which is an analog mic. Uh, so I'm using the M-Audio analog to USB breakout box, so I can plug that into my Mac. And um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not thrilled with the Heil PR20. I, I think I sound a little tinny because when I listen back to the podcast, um, I think it's okay. But I'm, I'm really thinking about switching back to an all-digital mic. And um, the Rode Podcaster is on my list of potential mics. But there was also a new blue mic that was introduced at Macworld, the Sparks Digital, which I think is just so appropriately named that I might have to buy it. Yes, everyone. Yeah. I should get a fee for that. You should. They love podcasters over at Blue. I was talking to them at the booth. I mean, they built their whole business model for their low-end mics, or I guess I'd say their medium-end mics around all those podcasters. Well, I started, um, like you, with a headset microphone. I was doing stuff for Tim Verporten over at the um, Mac Review Cast, and I was contributing to other podcasts. And so I just got a little snowball, a blue snowball, which was a simple mic. I think it was less than $100 when I bought it. And then when we started getting to this show... My friend Victor Cahiao over at the typical Mac user who lives near me, and him and I get together all the time and, and eat, eat good Cuban food. And um, so Victor had a Heil PR40, which is a really good mic, and he sold it to me used. So I use that, and again, that's not a USB mic. It's a, you know, it's a real mic, so it's got an XLR connector, and it needed to go through a device to connect it to my Mac. And... I went through a series of those. I had a Blue Icicle, which was a device that Blue sells that takes XLR in one end and sticks USB out the other end. And it really didn't work very well for me. And the gain didn't work. It was just a, it was just kind of a bad device. I, I wrote them. They sent me a new one. And that one went bad, too. Then I said, okay, enough is enough. So then I bought the um, Sure has a similar device. I don't know the name of it. I will put it in the show notes. But it's um, it's like IU20 or something like that. And it's a, uh, one end is XLR, the other end is USB, but it's got a, a live monitor in it, which is nice so I can hear myself through my headphones as I talk to you. And it was a great device. Um, but we had a lingering problem with that microphone, and it took us months really to figure out what the problem was, where we'd get this low-end hum in the recording. 
And I tried using it with different boards. And I tried it with different Macs. I even tried it from different locations to make sure it wasn't like a power thing. And ultimately, we concluded that it was something wrong with that mic, which is a shame because I love that mic. Um, because the Heil is a is a really good quality mic, and you have to get right up next to it when you talk. But then when you're away from it, it doesn't catch noise far away, which is great for the way I podcast. Um, unfortunately, I'm not using it anymore. I mean, I do miss that mic. In fact, I was talking to Dave Hamilton over at the Mac Geek Gab, and I think he knows somebody at Heil or something. I'm going to see if I can get them to take a look at it to see if they can fix it for me. But in the meantime... Um, I bought a blue Yeti microphone. So I went back to blue, even though I had the bad experience with the icicle, but yeah, and, you know, I'll just say, I, I know a couple of people who have had icicles for years and rave about them. Yeah. So, okay. So knows? maybe I just, maybe I just wasn't lucky. I don't know. But the, um, but the Yeti and I bought it. What I did was, and I'd recommend you do this as well. If you've got like a guitar center or someplace near you that you can buy these mics at, that has a generous return policy. Like guitar center has a 30 day return policy. So I bought the Yeti with the intention of returning it. You know, I said, okay, I'm going to get it. I'm going to record a show or two on it and see how it works. And if it's acceptable, I'll keep it. And it was, so I've, I've been using this Yeti now for three or four months and there's some things I like about it and things I don't like about it. Um, I like the fact that it's a USB mic. So you just literally one cord, there's no board or anything else. You plug it in. It's got a mute button right on it. So if we're recording a show and I need to cough or get a drink, I can just touch the mute button on the mic and I'm good. Um, I like that it's easy to, to stow and use. In fact, now I'm just leaving it on my desk. I haven't told you this, Katie. And I'm using it as my dictation mic for my Dragon Dictate. So cool. I don't put a headset on anymore for Dragon Dictate. I just talk out loud and the blue mic does a great job. So uh, there's a lot of things to like about it. Um, what I don't like is it seems to me that my voice isn't as rich as it was with the PR40 when I listened to the podcast. And I've talked to people who have really good ears who say that I'm nuts and it sounds just as good as it always did. And, but I don't know. It seems like the low end isn't quite as good. I, I'm not sure. So uh, maybe it's just, I'm a little crazy, but I don't like that. And well, I can tell you what I don't like about the Yeti. Yeah, it's very sensitive. It is very sensitive. So if you brush so like, up against a desk or or move something on the desk, uh, I got to edit it out. Yeah, and so what I do is a couple things. Um, number one is I'm a lot farther away from this mic right now than I used to be with the PR40 where I'd have my face right into it. Now I'm probably about 14 inches away from the mic as I talk. And maybe that's why my voice doesn't sound as rich. I'm not sure. Um, but if someone with the PR 40, if someone walked in the room, while I was recording the podcast at the other end of the room, you wouldn't hear it. And I just look at them and they'd say, Oh, and they turn around and walk out. Now you would hear the door opening because it's, it seems to be more sensitive. And, you know, I know there's some reasons for that because this is a powered mic. Um, but the, um, the other thing is, is you're right. The sensitivity as to moving around and stuff, I could get away with a lot more of the PR 40 than I can with this. Now, part of it's my fault because I don't have a shock mount for this. I mean, it's a new mic, and I wasn't sure if I was going to use it or not. And I went with, to Macworld with the full intention of buying a shock mount from from Blue while I was there. But the thing was, like, huge, and I'm a minimalist packer. I didn't really have room to take all this, this huge thing home. And I saw this new Spark mic, and I thought, well, you know, I may just get that one, which is coming out in a couple months, and that has a shock mount built in. 
So what I do now is, and this is really like analog, I just get a towel and I put it on the table and I set the mic on top of it. So now I'm tapping on the table with the, with the towel on. Now watch this. I'll, t I'll, put the, I'll take the towel off and I'll tap on the table. You hear the difference? Yeah. Are pretty, you there? It is pretty bad. Yeah. So, so you don't have to edit that out for once, right? <laughs> I so I really try, I really try not to create extra noise with this microphone, but I think it affects me a little bit because I talk with my hands and like, I'm sitting here, I'm afraid, like I've been afraid to move my chair while we talk <laughs> and don't you know, move. Yeah. Move around. And it's another reason why I don't take very good notes anymore. Cause if I start typing on my keyboard, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's, um, all this stuff goes into the microphone. So I'm not really sure where I stand on my mic yet. I'm, I'm okay with this mic for now. Um, I'm definitely going to look into seeing if I can get my Heil fixed because I think in a perfect world I'd be using that one. Right. All right. So we've got our microphones. Let's let's talk about how we actually record this this podcast, and it, it's actually pretty low key. And people are amazed when we tell them that we 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 do this on the cheap and we do a cross country podcast. Um, we do it on Skype. Yeah. That's how everybody I know who does this records their podcast is through Skype. Yeah, but we made mistakes when we started. We did. Um, so there's a, there's an app called Skype call recorder from Ecamm and that's like the go-to podcasters app. So what it does is it records your Skype call and it records both ends of it. So, uh, if you're recording with a friend in another country or another state, um, you just hit the, the red button on Skype call recorder at the beginning of the conversation and it records it and then it spits out a movie. It's a, it's a movie file. It's very bizarre is. if you're not used to it. Yeah, and, and they're huge, these movie files. So when we started it, whoever did the post-production just used their local recording, and, and we worked from there. But then we found out that you could tell who did the post-production because the other one sounded terrible. You know, well, because, not terrible, but not as well, good. Not as good. So right. uh, then we just started doing these double-enders. So what you do is you go and Skype call recorders file, and you run some tools on it first. You um, you you split the conversation. There's a thing that actually allows you to separate Katie and my voices, and then you convert it to an audio format. And then you've got separate recordings in a high quality format of each person. And each of those recordings is the locally recorded call. I, I, did I go too fast on that? No. And I, I think what you said is mostly correct. So we, we've got essentially at the end, I've got the local recording from my Mac of me talking and we've got the local recording from your Mac of you talking. And that way all the Skype nonsense, the stuff that we hear in our ears as we record the show disappears. Yeah. I think that's, and, I think that's pretty much true. And Katie does 99.9% of the post-production. So yeah, so David, David about, did it once. And, and that was, I think you, it's the kind of thing where you, you do it once and, and, and I looked at it and I went, Oh my gosh. And, and that's how we decided you would never do it again. Well, no, I just no, like just what I did was we, we aligned them and we aligned the tracks or I should say you aligned the tracks in GarageBand. Well, but, the, but and, I, 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 sorry, let's, let's back up. Cause I think there, okay, there, are a couple of, there are a couple of more things about recording the call and doing that kind of thing All right, that, you that I want to talk about first. There, there are a couple of other utilities that you can use. Uh, when we were starting, I used audio hijack pro. Um, and, and the problem with Skype call recorder now it's a problem. It, it's a Skype problem. It's not a Skype call recorder problem with any application that records Skype is at most you get two channels. You get your channel and whoever else is on the other side of the Skype calls channel. So if if we have a workflows guest, you know, if we add a third person to our podcast, which we now do quite regularly, 
it makes it a little bit more complicated because in my recording, I will have me on, on one side of the conversation and David and the guest on the other. And in David's recording, he will have David on one side of the conversation and me and the guest on the other. So although we have a Katie track and a David track, we don't have a separate guest track, which, you know, creates a problem. So sometimes we just pick one of the the tracks and we edit it that way. And, and if possible, what we ask is we ask our guest if they have a way to record their own audio. Now, I mean, this person is obviously already doing us a favor by coming on the show. So we try not to be too picky about it. Um, or so if they can record with Skype call recorder, that's great because I think that's a tool that people might possibly use. But there's another uh, app from uh, it's Rogue Amoeba, right? Yes. From Rogue Amoeba that this that is relatively new. It's in the Mac App Store for ten bucks, and it's called Piezo. Um, and Piezo is a really cool looking app. You know, it's got these little dials and these little levers, and you just click click, and it tells you what source do you want to record. So for 10 bucks in the Mac App Store, our guests can download this app and record their audio source, not Skype, but whatever their microphone is. With so a USB microphone, they, they record that from the audio source. And it's got a big red record button that they press. And usually, once we tell people what Piezo does, they're all too happy to record it because even if they never do another Skype interview, which chances are they will do again because you can record Skype, you can record audio from all kinds of different sources on your Mac. So it's an app that you might actually use again. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really great. Yeah. The the downside about Piezo is it does not record in a lossless format. Uh, with Skype call recorder, the reason that our file sizes are so large is that we've got it set to record in an uncompressed AIFF format. Uh, Piezo does record in a high quality MPEG format, but it is still compressed and and when we talk about the editing, I'll talk about why my preference is to only compress the audio once at the end. Yes. Uh, um, so a couple other things about Piezo is it does have the ability to record a Skype call. Uh, although as we record this, it's not working because the 10.7.3 update came out and they haven't got it tweaked for that yet. But when it does work, the way Piezo works is you see the VU meters, one for you and one for the other half of the call. And it records, like you said, this high quality, I think it's 256 file. And it, rather than having to split the file like we do with Ecamm's Skype call recorder, you would just put the track in your garage band and you'd crank it all the way to the left, the balance for one side, or crank it all the way to the right for the other side. So you could duplicate the file in GarageBand and they would lock up, they'd line up, and just by turning the balance left and right, you would have two different sides of the conversation you can control and edit. Right. Um, that creates a little bit of problem if people are listening with headphones, um, unless you output uh, output as a mono podcast, which we do. Um, and, and then again, with Piezo, you can also just record direct the source. So you can not record Skype at all and just record the USB input. Yeah. So that's a really great solution, working with our workflow guests. Say, look, just go buy Piezo. And just record your mic and then send us the recording. We set up a shared Dropbox for every show, and then they can just drop it in for us. Right. Um, there are a couple of things that we we like to do to tweak Skype. Um, sometimes if, if we have a workflow guest, you you this doesn't always happen. Um, but for one of the things is that David and I have always turned off all our little Skype noises, so you don't hear those in the recording. Again, if we have a workflow guest, they might not have, so you may hear their Skype noises. 
But, you know, if you ever hear the little bloop, 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 or whatever the little noise are, whenever somebody logs on to Skype or whenever somebody signs off or somebody calls you, um, those don't get recorded on our ends. That's um, a really good, great sound, Katie. I like that. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Yeah. I think I don't okay, know if that's got, my Skype sound or is that my TiVo sound? I think I'm going to convert that to my text message tone now. I've got the recording here. Okay. Well, that can be my special text message tone. Uh, the the other thing that we do is that Skype had a, a wacky feature where it would sometimes try to auto-level the mic, and that would create problems for us. So you had to go in and edit a P-list file, and we turned off auto-leveling. And then the other thing I do is as soon as we start recording, I, I enable Do Not Disturb just so somebody doesn't try to hop on and call me. Those are those are a few little tweaks that we've made. Yeah. You know, another thing I didn't mention, and this is really relevant to the whole recording process, is get a pair of cans. I mean, oh, it's, it's so f- frustrating when you get a guest on sometimes and they, uh, <laughs> they've got a microphone, but you can hear yourself coming through their mic. You always, you know, whenever you're going to record, I mean, this is, I know this is basic, but some people don't realize you've got to put your audio into headphones. Right. And, and literally I like when I'm recording now, when I'm just out and about, I, I do use little white earbuds. They've never bothered me. And, and those are what I use at the gym and they're portable and they're convenient. But when we're recording a podcast and when we're on here for an hour and a half or more, I've, I've got a nice, uh, decent, big set of, of sure headphones that are, that are quite comfortable. I feel like I can sit here for a couple of hours and record. Yeah. And I'm having trouble. That's another complaint I have with my Yeti is the monitor is not hot enough. And I've been playing with the settings. I actually sent them an email. I'm going to have to find out if I'm just doing something wrong. But, you know, uh, by monitor line, if you've never recorded a podcast, when you have these big headphones on, the headphones, you can't hear your own voice because they're they're knocked out. And that's the idea because you don't want the mic picking up the sounds in your ears. But um, you need the microphone or the computer to feed back what you're saying into your ear along with what I'm hearing from Katie. Or it's really disconcerting. And um, with this blue microphone, it's not very good. I can barely hear myself to the extent sometimes I need to pull one of my headphones off one of my ears so I can hear my own voice while I talk. And that's not good. Wow. That must be a good set of headphones you got. Uh, they're Shures. I mean, I got them years ago. I mean, they're they're great. They cover my ears really well. All right. So so we talked a little bit about after the show. Um, David dropboxes me his audio file. I split the audio file. So at the end, we, we typically end up with a Katie track and a David track, and those are both AIFF tracks that are imported into GarageBand. Um, and that's what we use for editing. We, we use GarageBand. So we have two, and if we have a guest, we have three tracks and then a jingle track that we use for our, our intro and outro music. And because we do these double-ended recordings, the hardest part initially is aligning the audio. Um, because if we're blabbing before the show and one of us hits record before the other, um, our audio tracks aren't going aren't to sync up. So we try to make a point to both initiate our call recording at the same time. But even being off by a couple tenths of a second of your audio sync is a big deal because then you're talking over each other or it's not quite making sense what you're saying. Again, bad audio is fatiguing. So the hardest part is aligning up that audio file initially. And I, I go through GarageBand and believe it or not, I do listen to all the way through the podcast and I edit it. Um, I typically don't edit out content. Um, what will I edit out are, you know, if there are noises if there's a, a problem with Skype and we have to stop the podcast momentarily, um, or if we have to look up something, you know, we'll edit that type of things out. If there's a long pause for some reason, I will try to edit that out. But I, I try to edit honestly as little as possible to keep the flow of the show because I don't want it to sound, you know, spliced together. 
And so far, I've only cursed once in the show. So there's one edit. You're gonna there's have one to edit because he cursed. Um, but Sorry. I have to listen to the show all the way through. Yeah. Um, and then I, I add in the jingles. And um, the, the other thing is sometimes our ads, and you might have noticed, are recorded separately. And sometimes I have to, that's, that's a real pain when I have to separately edit and record those in because I have to find a natural break in the conversation and, and stick in the ad spot. Um, but if possible, we try to record them in line. Yeah, it just depends. Sometimes the workflow guests don't mind you recording the ad spots. Sometimes, you know, they're, they're don't want to be a part of that or their, their time is compromised. So we try to do it as quickly as possible. Well, you do a great job of it. Katie. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, you also use some tools. You use sound soap, right? Yeah, that was, that was one of the things. And we bought that, especially when we were having that hiss problem with your show, but or with mic. your mic. Yeah. But I think it's probably the best hundred bucks that we spent. Is there was a tool called Sound Soap that is used to I don't know how it does this. It's magic. Uh, clean up audio, and it it will analyze the audio that you send through it, and it will reduce a hiss. If you like, um, thankfully not here, but at my my old house that I was recording at, um, my where I recorded the podcast, the condenser for the air conditioning was right outside the the window where I recorded. So it would pick that up and it would would remove that. So it it will remove a hiss. It will remove background noise. Sometimes there's just what's called like line noise. If if something is not grounded properly or something's maybe not plugged in all the way, or if you have a bad cable or a short in your cable, you can just get noise, kind of this phantom noise that that it will try to clean out. Um, and and then if you've got maybe somebody submitted something or you've got someone who's not on a great mic or is not on a good setup. Um, you know, to the extent possible, it will just kind of clean up dirty audio and it, it functions somewhat as a noise gate. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, you know, the gating though is very careful. I mean, we've had shows where we were too aggressive with the gate. You yeah, know? that's true. And, you know, I think it's important that when there's silence that there still is the background noise that the audience is li- used to listening to. It doesn't go down to zero or it's it's kind of jarring when it comes in and out. And was that sound soap that gave you that problem initially or was it? Garage? No, it, it wasn't sound soap. It was, it was garage band. And I'll, and I'll tell you why the problem is again, a little inside baseball is, is I've got a little bit of asthma. So if, if I have a flare up, sometimes you can hear me breathe or you can hear me wheeze. And I try to turn up. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I didn't know that. <laughs> I can't breathe on the show. Um, or you'll hear me like gasp for air a little bit on the show. Cause talk, 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 talk. Um, so it's not usually an issue, but sometimes if I've got just a little bit of a head cold, it is, it, it's a problem for me and this mic will pick up everything. So I will, you know, crank up the sound gate just a little bit. Otherwise you hear just about every breath I take on the pot, on the microphone. And, you know, it sounds a little bit like Darth Vader over here. It get creepy. It gets creepy real fast. Okay. So you've got the sound. So now you do the sound soap on the audio in that's after GarageBand, or is it before? No, actually, they have a. You, you can do it either way, but they have a plugin that incorporates into GarageBand. So I just add sound soap to each track of the recording, so it will analyze every track. So it will analyze nice. your track, my track, and our guest track, and then equalize them differently. So just to tell you how little I do on the editing, and I had no idea that that worked that way. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't even own SoundSnope. You're the only one that owns it. Yeah. The, the other thing that I do is I've, I've got a filter that reduces the bass on your voice just a little bit because when I didn't do it, we had people who said that you were booming out there or breaking their speakers in their car. But they don't like Barry White. What's wrong with them? They don't. They don't. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's not my mic. Maybe it's your sound soap. 
No, no, it's it's not sound soap. It's something different. It, that's All just right. a filter in GarageBand. So. Okay, well, um, so we get. We get through the end. You've got the GarageBand file edited. You've got all the music in. All the ad spots are in. And then you export it. Yes. And, and again, keep in mind, my goal is to compress this show once for, for optimum quality. So I export from GarageBand as an AIFF file. And then the last step is to run it through a free plugin called Levelator. And Levelator does a pretty awesome job of smoothing out the audio because um, when you have, especially if you have three different people on three different mics, you'll, you'll have different, um, you know, as much as possible, I try to equalize the audio and garage band. Um, but to some extent, we're all, we're going to get closer to the mic. We're going to get further from the mic. Some, some of us have a tendency to kind of rock as we talk. And, and so our voice may come in and out a little bit. Um, and then we'll be at different, different levels and different distances from the mic, or maybe the mic will get moved and levelator tends to serve to smooth out all of that audio. In fact, I had one show last last year that I didn't use Levelator on as an experiment because we thought that it might be flattening out our um, our uh, intro music a little bit. And I had someone write me and say, "You didn't Levelate that, did you?" So yeah. people can tell. It's it's you know if you ever listen to a podcast where you find yourself keeping your finger on the um, volume knob so you turn it up and turn down when different people talk, then they didn't use Levelator. Although I still believe that. If you listen to the original audio of our music and then you listen to it as it comes on the show, it sounds to me like it's been crushed a little bit, but that's, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It um, could be level or it could be the MP3. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, it's the music's pretty short. In fact, I, I almost am in favor of using even the shorter version of the music just to kind of get on with it. But that's just me. Um, but that's it. You know, once you get done, then you've got an MP3 file. And well, no, then, you don't yet. You don't yet. The what you run through Levelator comes out as an AI, goes in as an AIFF, and comes out as an AIFF. Yeah. So, so the last thing I do um, is I take that AIFF. I I actually use iTunes, um, although you could use anything. Although for the previous way we did, I used to use iTunes. Um, I imported that MP3 into iTunes and I exported. I'm sorry, imported that AIFF into iTunes and I exported it as an MP3. And again, the key is to only compress it once. And the reason I used iTunes for that is, um, is because I needed to add the metadata to the track as well. And the metadata includes the title of your show. Um, you know, that little blurb that you see in iTunes that tells you what the show is about, you know, those one or two lines and it adds that to the show, the podcast artwork, it adds that to the show, who is the author of the show. It adds all that. Um, that is all done now for us by the five by five CMS but we previously had to add it all in for every show ourselves. So Yeah, so if you're getting started on your own, you need to put it in iTunes so you can add the metadata. And then when you export it, you export as MP3. Right. And that's the file that goes out to the world. Right. And then, and then there's some things we do after that. But before we do that, let's talk about our second sponsor, 1Password. Okay. So one password, we talk about it all the time, but it's just, it continues to be awesome. This is the app that works on your Mac, your PC, your iOS devices. It creates stores and um, holds unique passwords for you for all the various things you do in the internet land. Um, it, it's multi-platform. So you've got your passwords on every, on every device you have. It syncs through Dropbox. So it's wherever you need it. 
and it also auto-fills in web browsers. Uh, th- we were talking about this at Macworld, about the go-and-fill feature. I think a lot of people didn't realize that exists. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, well, one of the issues at Macworld I had is that I didn't travel around a lot with my Mac, believe it or not, because um, I wanted to be as mobile as possible. So I took my iPad a lot of the places where I went to Macworld. So if I was going into a session, I didn't pop open my laptop. I was just working with my iPad. And one of the concerns that people tell me about using 1Password is I'm really nervous. If I use 1Password, I won't know what my passwords are. And then I'll get to a website and, you know, I'll have to launch 1Password, figure out what my password is. And if I'm using my iOS device and I got to go back and copy and paste and, you know, stick it in. And it's all this back and forth, which, you know, is not impossible because we have, you know, kind of fast switching and multitasking on the iPad now, but it's not the most seamless transition as well. And I said, well, what what are you talking about? Because in one password, the application, both on the iPad and on the iPhone, they have a built-in web browser. So if you want to browse to a website that you know you're going to have to fill in one of your super strong, secure one password passwords, all you got to do is launch the one password app, enter your master password, and then go to the website. You can even use your one password logins. You can search through those almost as a bookmarklet. There'll be a little arrow And you can click it and it will take you to the login page for that site and automatically log you in. And anywhere you browse within the 1Password website or within the 1Password application, you will have access to all of your bookmarklets. Easy peasy. And it it does that right within the 1Password app. So if your friend picks up your iPad and starts monkeying around with your Safari history, they don't see all your banking locations or wherever else it is that you went on in the 1Password browser. So there's a lot of benefits to doing it that way. Right. You know, another thing for 1Password owners, because I'm sure there's a couple of them listening to the show, take a look at your your master 1Password. Um, uh, they just did a post, well, I guess now two or three months ago, at the 1Password site talking about what your master password should be. And uh, I finally got around to updating mine. I just did it this morning. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Um, they've got some really good ideas in there about how to make a really good master password for your 1Password library. But either way, uh, 1Password is a great app. Uh, you can get it at the Mac App Store for $50. Uh, there's a, if you want to go to the, to the Agile Bits or the 1Password.com website, I believe it's 1Password.com, isn't it? Let's either see. will get you there. Well, but they, yeah. yeah. So if you go there, you can buy a family pack, or a, I'm sorry, a Mac and Windows bundle for $70. So if you're on both platforms, that might be a good idea. Yeah, the, iOS, yeah, the iOS Pro version is $15, and that gets it both on the iPad and the iPhone. I recommend that one. Um, or you can get it just for any single iOS for the phone or the iPad for $10. And you know, it's just a no-brainer. I, I love this app so much. It does such a good job of protecting us on the Internet I evangelize this to anybody that'll listen to me, and I've never had someone say they didn't like it. In fact, you know, we had Rob Cordry with us at Macworld. He was on our session, and he was telling me about his Hollywood friends, that he was he's, he's converting them all to 1Password. Because same thing, you know, you don't want someone hacking your accounts. And when you're in movies and stuff, people are going to try and figure out your account passwords. They're going to try and figure out your Twitter password and all that stuff. So um, it's a great app. Go get it. And didn't he also say that David Wayne was trying to steal credit for it? Yeah, what he said, our guest David Wayne and Rob are very good friends. And he was saying that he was telling someone about one password. And David said, I told him about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great. We app. told David about that. 
Yeah, there we go. I doubt that. I bet Dave knew all about it before he heard of us. It's just yeah. a great app. Go go get it. It's a it's a very worthwhile investment in your online security, and they're everywhere. And thank One Password uh, for supporting our show, please. All right. Well, we've 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 covered the the planning before we started the podcast. We we covered recording. We covered some of the devices that we use. Let's talk about just kind of the 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 general stuff of of how we make this show work. Okay, uh, you wanted to talk about kind of we didn't really talk much about the research and and setting up the show. We uh, you know we spend a lot of time prepping these shows. In fact, it's we don't kind just of remo- get on the mic and wing it. No, it's remarkable how much time we spend. Whenever I contrary guest on to some- popular belief. Yeah, when I when I get guests on somebody else's show, especially like these news and rumor related shows, really you just kind of show up and start talking. You know? oh, that's so <laughs> and, nice, and um, that's not the way we do it here. So, uh, you know, one of the very first things we did when we decided to do a podcast together is we we opened a shared Dropbox folder, and that folder has got a lot of data in it by now. And uh, inside there, we have outlines for every show that we make, along with uh, other files that we generate along the way. So everything goes in the Dropbox. So Katie and I both have access to it wherever we're at. Right. And that's, um, that's worked out very well. Yeah. Um, we've adopted Google Docs for some of the administrative stuff. We have a, a spreadsheet. And this is something we've, I think, got, frankly, better at as we've gone forward is we have a spreadsheet where we show we've got the shows mapped out for the next four or five months, really. And we've got show titles. We've got sponsorships that have been already purchased and where we don't have sponsorships and guests and contact information. So we've got a whole bunch of stuff. We should say we do have some sponsorship spots available if anybody wants them. Yeah, we do. We have. So if you want to sponsor the show, let us know. Um, But so everything's there and we even know when the, the dates that the shows are going to air. So when we're selling ad spots, we can tell people with some degree of accuracy and um, as we, this is is when your spot's going to air and this is what the show topic is going to be. And, and this is yeah. who else is going to be on the show with you. Yeah. And and we have a master list. People send us in ideas for shows and some of them we use and we start adding those to the schedule as we get looking forward. And it really is nice. I mean, that's a really useful thing for us. Um, we also have documents for brainstorming and general planning ideas that you and I are always talking about new ideas for the show. And we just kind of keep a running list of notes in there. Um, we have some advertising related files. I'm going to talk about that later, but let's not get to that yet. Okay. Um, then, Let's talk a little bit about how we individually plan the show. Um, and it, it can start, it, it at a minimum starts several weeks before the show, but it can start as much as several months before the show. Because if, if, we're, if we know, for example, David will tell me in advance, you know, I think I'd really like to do a show on Keyboard Maestro. And I'll say, I don't know anything about Keyboard Maestro. And he'll say, well, why don't you start figuring that out, you know? So yeah, we'll so, we'll we'll set a show like that where it's a topic that one of us doesn't know much about, or maybe neither of us know much about, or maybe hey, I heard about this cool thing, we should go check this out. If we decide to do a show on that, that could be a show that we set a couple of months out, and that way we will have a couple of months to actually start living in that app and using it, so that we're not just winging it off the cuff. Yeah, and then we um generally and like this show is an exception you did most of the prep on this show because the uh the technical pieces of the podcasting frankly you're much better at it than i am but the um generally i do the initial pass at the outline and so i and it's done in omni outliner so um i use omni outliner and i do have a couple templates over the years you know as we've 
done some pieces over, but generally every show kind of starts with a blank page. And, um, and I even, and I actually don't share this with you, Katie, is I, I do even go further. Sometimes I start on my iPad with iThoughts HD and I just start kind of organically just laying out ideas related to a particular subject, but eventually it's an OPML file and it finds its way to Omni Outliner. And, and then I work in that and I'd say on an average show, there's probably about working in the outline. There's probably two and a half to three hours maybe in the outline before it goes to you. And then you, then you work with the outline and we just kind of, we kind of play tennis, you know, you hit it back to me and we kind of go back and forth on the outline. And that would probably start on, on a show that doesn't require a, a ton of prep work in terms of, of using and learning a new app. That will probably start a couple of weeks before a show. We typically have our shows planned. Like we can, we can probably tell you the next four or five shows that we're going to do. Um, so that, that process of outlining the shows will start three to four weeks or two, at least, at least two to three weeks before a show hitting it back and forth. And then we uh, we just keep working with that. And then in the meantime, I get um, I, I'm you know we constantly get notes from listeners, and also I, I track the comments on the website. And if I see something interesting in there uh, that I think we may want to add to feedback, I create a omni focus task from it. You know, just using from the email application, you know, the Clipatron. And then I even have a, a text expander snippet. It's .ato. It's add to Mac Power Users Outline. So I'll hit .ato in front of that in text expander, and I'll I'll push all those out to like a Saturday or something. And then I'll go through and sort through them. Some of them I'll just write a reply to somebody. Some of them I'll actually add to the outline. So in addition to tracking the outline for the show, I also keep the feedback session open. So these outlines, and this, this is all in the Dropbox, so these outlines are building themselves up weeks in advance of the show. And that's how the feedback gets in there as well. So at some point, we're getting close to the recording date. And and then Katie's looking at it, and I'm looking at it. So we're bouncing back and forth. And we get to recording day. Then both of us drag the, the Omni Outliner file, a copy of it, out of the Dropbox. We don't work with the source one because it doesn't really, it's not very friendly to having two people editing it at once. So we make basically two local copies. And then we have them open on our desktop while we record. And that's really it. Because we may make some side notes, or we may make some last minute tweaks, and and we should mention, um, you know, the, re- the recording that was that was initially something that was very difficult for us is figuring out when we were recording because we're both professionals with full time jobs, and then you know, David, I'm just again constantly amazed because you know you've you've written in the time that we've been doing this podcast, you've written two books, you've got two daughters and a wife and a family and and all kinds of commitments with Max Sparky and beyond. Um, in addition to your legal career and, you know, how do you actually find the time to record, especially with a three hour time difference? And what we've, what we finally settled on is that if we have to record on a weekday, typically doing it at 9 PM, which is a little late for me and a little early for you has, has been a compromise. 9 PM Eastern, 6 PM Pacific, I guess. And I I always feel that those shows don't have quite as much energy because both of us are tired. Because we, we're yeah. both tired. We've both been at work all day. You've rushed to get home, and I'm about ready to go to bed. I mean, I tell it's, people I'm useless after 8 o'clock. I, I get up every day by 5 a.m., so when I get home, I'm pretty beat. And um, it's tough to record. But we do it sometimes. We still do some of them. Uh, um, especially, weeknights. yeah, because sometimes we have to coordinate with a guest, and we have to coordinate that schedule, too. And then, so my by favorite way to now, re- Yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, by and large now, most of our shows are recorded at uh, 
12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Usually on a Saturday. Usually on a Saturday. Sometimes a Sunday, but usually on a Saturday. Yeah. And that's great. So we've kind of got a rhythm for that as well. But you know, then we work with guests. Sometimes with guests, we'll make arrangements to get to sneak out of the office and play hooky for a little bit and do it during the weekdays. Yeah, that gets too. that gets harder and harder and harder. But but sometimes yeah. you got to do what you got to do. Uh, so and then the next thing that happens, I guess that's that really is the kind of the front end stuff of it, which doesn't sound very exciting, but it actually is quite a bit of fun. I I enjoy preparing for the show because I always learn new things. So it's you know part of the reason I do this show is for my own education. Right. And then the back end, going back to the back end, after Katie gets the MP3 file, she puts it in the Dropbox, and then I listen to it. And so I'll sit at my computer and just listen to the show beginning to end. And that's when I'll use my clickety-clackety keyboard to make show notes. And I do all that in Markdown. I just open a byword file, and it's a Markdown file, and I share it so Katie can see it as well. And um, and then I, I convert the uh, Markdown to HTML, and I create a post at the Mac Power Users website and just paste, paste that HTML into the website. Um, and then I go to the 5x5 admin site and that's a little more tedious now because I have to do the links twice. So the mm-hmm. links, not only do you put the links in the show notes, but then five by five has a form where you put the link name and then the link. So you do a lot of copying and pasting for that. And then, um, then there's the metadata that you add onto the end, which I'm not very good at, but I'm getting better at it with Katie's help. Yeah. And, uh, we upload the file and, you know, we set a, a publish date and that's, that's basically it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I've had mixed thoughts about now that we're on the five by five site, do we really need to have the Mac power com site or is, are everybody going to the five by five site? But, you know, I think there's value in keeping it in both places. So it's not that much extra work, really. It's not that much. extra. Work. Yeah. Um, um, so I think, couple- you know, to give you an idea, I mean, David tends to do a lot more of the pre-planning and I tend to do a lot more of the, the post work and, and some of the more technical aspects. Yeah. A couple things we didn't talk about on the show. I want to cover just briefly. Um, number one is advertising. People ask about that. I spoke about it last year at blog world. Um, we really didn't have any idea about advertising. Like I said, when I started it, I just wanted my mom to listen to, and, uh, we were approached by advertisers. Uh, so, but advertising, we got, we got contacted by smile that wrote us and said, Hey, you know, we like your show. We'd like to sponsor it. And it hadn't even occurred to us. We didn't even know what to charge. And, and I don't want to get into what to charge today because no, it's like, it's total that. whatever. But the, um, uh, but there are advertisers out there. I think if you're interested in advertising your show, um, getting advertising, uh, you know, write the sponsors, you know, if you want, but uh, prepare something professional looking like a package, give them the information about how many downloads you're getting, but don't focus on that. I, I think it's a big mistake if people are just interested in, you know, how many ears are going to be listening to, I think it's more about a fit to me. I've always looked for advertisers that I think add content to the show rather than take away from the show. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we even, when we went to five by five, I think we could be even be charging a little more than we are now, but it was important to us that we bring in people that still are a good fit for our audience. And, and um, David, and I have always said from the beginning, we only want to advertise for things that we use or would use or have used and like and enjoy. Um, you know, we don't want to get to the point where we're advertising for things that we have no idea what they are, that we're just reading copy off of a page, because I don't think that adds value. I mean, when you're sitting here doing a podcast and your voice is is talking about something, I mean, that's that's adding some level of credibility, I think, to it. Your credibility, you know, to that this is a good product. Yeah, agreed. So be careful. 
Yeah. Be careful. But, uh, and don't expect to get rich. I mean, our podcast, I think, has been incredibly successful. I mean, more than I ever imagined it would have been. And, you know, we do okay. We get some money out of this, but I, it's not like I could quit my day job. Right. So, you know, I, I wouldn't get too hung up on that stuff. Just make great content. And that really brings me to the last point about all this stuff is the why. I mean, we've just spent an hour and 15 minutes talking about the how, but maybe the most important question is why, you know, why are you going to do a podcast? And that kind of gets back to the beginning where I was resistant to doing one at all because I felt like there was nothing to say. Um, make sure you've got a voice and, and something that's really you're passionate about and you want to bring to the table before you get started on all of this. Because it's a lot of work and there's not a lot of reward for it. So make something awesome. Uh, there's a legendary talk that John Gruber and Merlin Mann did at South by Southwest. And I'm going to link it in the show notes. And it's I think it really sums up blogging and podcasting so well. Where they talk about a success is really the combination of passion and voice. You have to have something you're really passionate about and the ability to talk about it well. And if you have those two things, you can probably make something kind of awesome. But if, if you're oh. just sitting here looking at the stats or seeing how long until I can get a sponsor or how much money can I make or how, how much more of this do I have to do until I quit my day job, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. If you're, if you're figuring out how soon can I make money, you should probably go get a job at McDonald's because it may pay. More. You'll make more. <laughs> and um, so, but, but you know, there is, but it, but really search your your own soul about these things. I mean, do, is there something you're really passionate about? Is there something you really want to share? And I would recommend almost that, and this is something that really comes out of that Gruber man talk is that, you know, get the more focused you can get on something, the better. And the example they used was, you know, talk about star Wars. I think they said, talk about an Ewok or something like, I forget exactly the, it's been a while since I listened to it, but the, um, but that's really, I think what you need to do is find yourself something that you can really focus in on and who cares if you only have 200 people listen to it? If they're really into that Ewok or if they're really into whatever it is you're talking about, they're going to love it and you're going to have a really rich experience with those people. So um, really look into that before you start. I guess we should have put that at the beginning of the show. We probably should have. That was kind of my hippie speech. But um, if nothing else, if you don't do anything else from this and if you have no interest in podcasting, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have no interest in podcasting whatsoever, I would go and listen to that Gruber man talk. I, I just think it's so good. It could apply to just about anything in your life. Okay. Well, enough of that. Our last sponsor is the Omni group. Yeah. David, you know, um, I, I learned a lot about the Omni groups products, uh, at Bankworld this year. We had a great time. We actually had got to have dinner and, um, uh, with some of the folks at the Omni group, they are really, really cool geeky people when you get down to it. These are smart, smart guys and gals over at the Omni Group. Um, and you got to give a, a talk that was very, very well attended. It was standing room only. I had to stand in the very back. Um, I didn't even see you there. I didn't know you yeah, were Yeah, I was because I was in the back behind like the, the 50 other people who were trying to see you. Yeah. Um, it was fun. So I talked about how I use OmniFocus, and um, it was kind of a blast. I I I did something crazy like two hours before the talk, I flushed all my data and set up a new account and made some, you know, funny tasks. I didn't want to have all my lawyer stuff up on the screen and, um, and it worked out, you know, cause I didn't know. So I showed people how you set up your account and, you know, and different tricks to use. And, uh, 
I had a lot of good feedback afterwards. There was some of the attendees there were people who I think are already kind of omni-focused ninjas. You know, I think Ben Brooks there and and Sean Blanc and and Karush Dini, the guy who wrote the omni-focused book, which is a great book, was there. I didn't know until afterwards he came up and introduced himself. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I don't know if we're going to be able to have video of that online. I didn't see anybody there with a video camera. I know last year Omni took video, but I'm not sure they did this year. But most of the stuff I talked about was in my my OmniFocus screencast marathon that I don't know, what is it, like six hours or something when you add it all up? Um, so mm-hmm. if you watch that stuff, I, you I think could it's really it. about an hour and a half. I don't know. It felt like, you know, every time I watch it, it seems like it's longer. Um, but uh, I'll tell you a couple tips that people uh, followed up with me afterwards they weren't aware of. One of them is on your iOS devices in the forecast view, you can have it show start date related items. So if you use start dates to manage your tasks, yeah. So let's say you have start dates. So you have a bunch of stuff starting on Tuesday and a bunch of stuff starting on Wednesday in the forecast view, you can throw a switch and the preferences. It's a little eyeball and you say start dates, and then you can click on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It'll show you what's starting each day. So at the beginning of the week, it gives you a real good way to see how busy you are with tasks during the week. And since it also and what's shows coming and it shows your calendar at the bottom. So you can say, oh, that day I've got a bunch of tasks and multiple appointments. Well, that's not going to work. So you're going to have to move something. Um, another way I use that is at the end of the day, I actually have a repeating task every day. OmniFocus at 4 p.m. says, you know, set up tomorrow or look at tomorrow. So in, as I get into the evening, I will look at in the forecast view what I've got up for the next day and I may start making adjustments. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm not faced with 60 tasks. It's a great feature. Um, another thing I did about OmniFocus just recently was I, I posted a little screencast at Max Sparky talking about how I use text expander snippets in OmniFocus. So I'll go ahead and link that in the show notes as well. Yeah, that's very cool. Very geeky. Yeah. OmniFocus is just a great app. I mean, I, I've seen so many people, and at Macworld last week, I had several people walk up to me and say, you know, I tried them all. I didn't want to go to OmniFocus because it's a little more expensive, and eventually I just went ahead and bought it, and I'm so happy I did. It's a great app for, for managing your tasks. There's the, the Mac version is $80, the iPad version is 40 and the iPhone version is 20 And uh, I use it every day. I don't know what else I can say about it. You, you can find more information about OmniFocus and all of the other great products over at OmniGroup.com. And we thank them for their sponsorship of Mac Power users and for just being really cool people. Yeah. All right. So we got some feedback. We do have some feedback. Um, so is it Gregory? I think it's Gregory. Yeah. Um, the, well, the, what happened was we did the show with um, uh, uh, Rod Roddenberry, and he was talking about how he uses his – Mac to run his small business. And something we didn't discuss on that show that we probably should have is the 37 signals suite. If you go to 37 signals.com, they've got some great web based business management solutions, you know, contact management, everything. And uh, good point. I should have added that to the show. So if you're looking to run a small business, that's another good solution. Douglas wrote in about Flash, and I've, I've had a couple of back-and-forth conversations with him, and he said, I heard you talk about Flash on our Apple devices. The problem I face is that my kid's homework is online, and to read the homework there, the website uses Flash. How can I get around this uh, on my MacBook and my iPad? Well, you know, we talked about this on, on a couple of different shows, but I don't know that we consolidated this answer all into one place. You know, Dave and I talked about getting rid of Flash, and 
ways to do it to just completely get rid of it on your system and then use a browser like Google Chrome for that has a built-in version of Flash for when you absolutely positively have to use Flash, you can just launch Chrome. Uh, and we talked about that, I believe, in the web browser show um, and possibly follow up in other shows. But that doesn't help you on the iPad because there's obviously no ver- no Flash that's going to run on the iPad. And one of the apps that we talked about and follow up, I believe, is an app called Skyfire that is a uh, browser that uses some off-site sorcery where it basically sends the website to their servers and it re-encodes it and then sends it back to you um, so that you can view Flash on your iPad. Um, it's not flawless, but it it works okay. So you 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 know it may be worth a couple of bucks to test it out and see if it works on your site or on the particular site that that you need to use. I mean, it's not going to work great for Hulu or streaming videos or anything like that. But um, you know, for just Flash here and there, it, it may work for you. Yeah, um, we also had someone write in to say, um, and this is follow up from the Rod Roddenberry show. Um, Rod had talked about Jaxta, J A K S T A. That is an app that allows you to pull content out of YouTube or other online video sources for later viewing, but it's $50. And, and we had a couple of people write in and say, Hey, is there something, you know, that's less than $50. So I put a word out on Twitter and got a bunch of great responses. Um, a couple that I liked was, um, Kirshen, uh, wrote back and talked about the Safari YouTube downloader, which is on GitHub. And I'm going to put links for all these in the show notes. Um, we also had people write in about Evorn, um, E-V-O-M, and uh, it's an app that allows you to pull stuff down. And then the same company has one called Grappler. So, um, oh, and another one, we had someone write in about this website called keepvid.com, and you post in a link and it spits out an MP4. It's pretty cool. So there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, pick pick your favorite. I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in this KeepFit. I haven't had a chance to test that one out yet, but I think I used it about six months ago for something and it worked great. So, um, there you go. Right. Um, uh, I'm guessing this person's name is Rivi, uh, wrote in and said the iPad needs a sharing standard. Yeah. I, I think I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Um, he recently finished his bachelor degree, um, using the iPad for about 90% of his work. So it's interesting to see that students are out there really using the iPad for work, um, for taking notes, for composing papers, keynotes, scanning documents, downloading files, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he used Mac for pages to write his final research thesis. But the problem is, is that, you know, sharing all of these documents in between, um, various, uh, document formats on the iPad and getting things to open can sometimes be a pain. So um, it sounds like there's a, a great opportunity f- for someone to come up with a standardized way of sending out and sharing documents other than email. But I guess the problem there is I don't know that any third-party developer is going to be able to do it. I don't know. if I think that might be something that Apple has to do. Yeah, I agree. Um, we heard uh, from a couple questions about OPML. We talked about OPML in a recent show and about how that relates to Keynote. And it really doesn't. Um, you know, getting files into Keynote and I think that the link that this question relates to is the way Omni Outliner can create a keynote file. So you could go OPML uh, with like your your uh, iThoughts HD on your iPad or any other device that creates an OPML file, and you could go from there into Omni Outliner. And from Omni Outliner, you could export to Keynote. Um, if you do that, be careful because Keynote creates a separate slide for every level one slide but then it creates bullets for everything underneath. So if you have an outline with just three level one 
bullets, then you're going to get a three slide presentation with a lot of bullets inside it. So it's almost a different beast creating an outline for a presentation. And um, I don't do that as often. Generally, I will just kind of build the keynote from scratch because I don't like to have many words in my keynotes to begin with. So um, there it is. Uh, we also received a lot of feedback on the Automator show. A lot right. of people were very complimentary saying, wow, this is really great. I think you guys did a good job covering it because, as I said in the show, I thought it was a challenge because it was an audio show about how to program, which is pretty tough. Yeah, and uh, I can't tell you, David, how many people came up to me at Macworld this this past week um, because the, the show came out, I think, right as a lot of people were traveling to Macworld and says, oh, I just listened to it or, oh, I'm halfway through listening to it. And we're really psyched about digging into Automator again. So I think that was kind of the purpose is to give you an overview, let you go dig in and, and, and figure out what it can do for you and what you want it to do. Yeah. I did hear from some people though that felt like um, I didn't do a good enough job of explaining the limitations of Automator. And I think there may be some merit to that. The, um, the limitations of Automator though are difficult to nail down because it depends on your own skill level because you can include Apple scripts and Automator and because you can include shell scripts and Automator, um, the limitations can be pretty broad. But if you're somebody who doesn't know anything about Apple Script or, or shell scripting, then your limitations in Automator are as far as the built-in Automator um, tools are. You know, and that's why we're talking about like the ones that you can download from Ben that give you the ability to search and replace text or something. So you've only got you can only build as much with it as you can with the Lego bricks you've got in your box, you know, going back to the analogy I used in the show. So, um, if you, if you can, you can do as much as you is possible with those, those specific bricks. The question is, do you have the ability to create your own bricks by using shell scripting and Apple script? And even I think some Xcode, um, if you do, then it's really unlimited what you can do with automator. I guess maybe not unlimited, but it's very, it goes pretty far out there. If you don't have that ability, and I'd probably put myself more in the second category than the first, you're limited to what the existing tools are. So I hope that explains better. But I hope it also doesn't discourage you from trying it, because there's quite a bit you can do with Automator. Okay. I think that's going to wrap us up. Yeah, it was a good show. I'm glad we were able to finally bring the podcasting show to the audience. I hope that uh, all the people who have been writing us over the years asking for it enjoy it. <laughs> and I hope everybody else got something out of it. Right. So if nothing you more, co- you, you know what we do every week. Yeah. You know what so. goes into the show. Little- we don't just sit down and start talking, even yeah. though it may sound like it sometimes. All right. So uh, how do you contact us? Ah, uh, Well, you can contact us. You can find links to everything that we talked about on our show. Show notes. Uh, those lovingly crafted show notes by David. Uh, over at www.macpowerusers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can uh, also send us feedback to feedback at macpowerusers.com. And we're on Twitter. The show is at macpowerusers. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at MacSparky. Yes, and thanks to our sponsors, Smile, 1Password, and Omni Group for supporting the show. Yeah. We love iTunes comments. So if you haven't done this in a while, you know, you can do it up to uh, once per year. You can leave us a, a comment in iTunes and that helps us get exposure. That helps us get noticed. That helps us attract uh, new people to the show. Um, so please consider leaving a comment in iTunes and, and we appreciate that. And, you know, after bragging about how we've got the show mapped out so far in advance, there's some scheduling issues. So it's not exactly clear what our next show will be. Yeah, I, I guess we we should address that. Um, we were planning on releasing our Rob Cordery show uh, in in the feed from Macworld, 
this month. And there was, there was actually a hiccup and, and we won't go into all the details, but there was a problem. We had a great time at Macworld, we should say, recording with Rob and with Merlin. And um, there was a problem. We, we weren't able to get our audio recording and the, the recording that was supposedly done. Um, something happened to it. I don't know. But it's the, the short version is it's gone. And so what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to uh, set up a, a schedule with Rob at some point at his convenience to re-record that as a more traditional workflows interview on Skype. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll get that worked out in the, in the near term. So we'll see you then. 